0: Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. This is God's word.
1: As Travis announced last week, we're opening 2023 by looking at the core commitments of Westgate Church. This morning, we're going to look at our commitment to worship. Why are you here this morning? What's your motive for coming? You may be here out of curiosity, wanting to know a little more about Christianity or a little more about Westgate You may be here for the relationships you have or hope to have. You may be here out of a sense of duty, knowing that God desires we come together for worship. Or you may be here for a shot of spiritual adrenaline to get you through the work, the week. All of these have their positive side, but they all fall short of the real reason we should be here, to worship God. To give him the honor and glory that he deserves and to put him in his rightful place in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, this vision you gave Isaiah, may it be ours today. Mere words cannot bring us into that sense of you that Isaiah had or that sense of himself that Isaiah had or that experience of forgiveness. But your spirit can. And so we call upon you to be speaking to each one of us this morning, where we are on our journey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is no single passage in Scripture that gives us a comprehensive view of worship, but there are a number of commands that relate to worship. A Psalm 95, we read, "O come, let us sing to the Lord." Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Uh, Psalm 96 Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give him thanks and bless his name. In 2 Timothy, we read, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And in Acts 2.42, we see the activities of the early church when they gathered together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. These passages are our guides into what we include in our worship services. Humbling ourselves before God, singing, praising, exalting him, thanking him, preaching, giving, praying, and breaking bread at the Lord's table. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8 is our guide to the movements within worship at Westgate. To the pattern of our worship service, which is rehearsing or reliving the gospel. And even though Isaiah is in the Old Testament, it offers us the gospel pattern for worship by leading us to behold God, recognize our lostness, receive forgiveness, and then respond to God's call. The setting of our passage is in the year of King Uzziah's death. The death of a political leader is always unsettling, especially when that leader accomplished as much for the nation as Uzziah had. His faithfulness to God, despite his lapse at the end of his life, brought victory and prosperity to his people. So his death naturally evoked questions about stability and royal succession. The Judeans had put their trust in their king and he was gone the timing of isaiah's vision is a message that declared the lord is king put your trust in him he sits on the throne of all thrones our passage begins in the year that king uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah was not alone in seeing the throne of God. Almost everyone in the Bible who had a vision of heaven was taken to heaven or wrote about heaven spoke of God's throne. David, the sons of Korah, Ethan, the Ezraites, all wrote about God's throne. The prophets Micaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and of course Isaiah all saw God sitting on his throne. The Apostle John vision, as was read by Eric a little earlier, saw God on his throne. There are 35 references to God's throne in the book of Revelation recognizing that God sits on the throne puts him in his rightful place and puts us in our rightful place. His throne is described as being high and lifted up, declaring his supremacy over everyone, every nation, and everything. And the train of his robe filled the temple. One commentator on Isaiah notes... The robe of a king was often lengthened every time he conquered another kingdom. The length of his robe represented his presence and the length and extent of his rule and reign. This vision sent the message that God's rule, his reign is above all, his kingdom knows no end to its boundaries in time or space. He is king of all kings. Everything about what Isaiah saw cries out, God reigns supreme. The Lord offered himself to the Judeans as their king, as their ultimate security, as their ultimate sense, a source of prosperity. And they rejected him. God offers himself to us today as King. As our ultimate source of security, our ultimate source of fulfillment. But they, the Judeans, trusted in kings, armies, and chariots instead of God. Today, we trust in bank accounts, success, or acclaim. When we pursue these or anything else for ultimate security or fulfillment, It becomes an idol that usurps God's place on the throne of our lives. That begins to change when we see God in all his glory enthroned in the heavens. God is king, he reigns supreme, and he is holy. Above him stood the seraphim, Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The sinless seraphim found God's holiness and glory too overwhelming to bear but too inspiring to flee. With two wings, they covered their faces because they did not feel worthy to look upon God. With two, they covered their feet so they could conceal their sense of unworthiness. And with two, they flew, ready to serve God at his beck and call. They call out to one another, holy, holy, holy. See, the Lord of hosts is not just holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And each time that word is repeated, it boosts the force of the previous one exponentially, announcing that it's impossible to capture the magnitude of God's holiness. And we often think of holiness as moral purity. It is. It is. But it's much more. The word holy in the Hebrew means to be set apart from, to be set above. Every attribute of God is holy. Every attribute of God is far beyond those same qualities in us. To try to compare God's love, faithfulness, goodness, justice, mercy, grace, moral purity, truth with ours is like trying to compare the capability of a butterfly to NASA's latest rocket. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so is God's character and his ways than ours. As the seraphim basked in God's holiness, they proclaimed that the earth is full of God's glory. We hear those words often glory or glorify but it's it's hard sometimes to get our arms around what glory means but at the very core of the meaning of glory is worth and value all of creation cries out that God's worth is incalculable he is worthy of our praise our dedication our service, our love, and our very lives. John Piper wrote, God's worth is infinite. Thus, true worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. Or we could use words like prizing God or delighting in God or reverencing God or being satisfied with him. All of these inner responses to God reflect his infinite worth and beauty. That's what worship was designed to do, put the supreme worth of God on display. Our worship services are designed for us to first see God as he is in all his glory. When you sing those songs or hear the call to worship, You, we should be beholding God, beginning to treasure Him for who He is. When we do this, then we will begin to see ourselves through different eyes and realize how far short of God's glory we fall. When Isaiah saw his vision of God, And he felt the temple shake and be filled with smoke. He himself was shaken. And he cried out, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah knew two things that we deny. He knew that he was a sinner. And that God judges sin. Today, many of us minimize our sin by thinking it's not that big, it doesn't really matter. God overlooks it. And we reinvent God the way we'd like him to be, mistakenly believing that because he's a loving God, he wouldn't judge sin. He wouldn't necessarily be just. If we saw God as Isaiah did, we would realize this is a big mistake and we would see our lostness. When he saw God for who he is and himself for who he was, he was devastated. Woe is me, I am lost the words of the seraphim, holy, 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 their praise of God had hit home. He realized that his lips were unclean because he was not worthy of saying what they were saying about God. His life was unclean. He was not living a life worthy of God. He had not enthroned God in his life He was not glorifying God as God should be glorified. He was not living holy as God is holy. He was not prepared to serve God unconditionally. And so he was shattered by that recognition of how far short he fell of God's glory. You know, Isaiah didn't need to sin in ways that we find this detestable to know that he was a sinner. He simply had to look at God and see him for who he is and then look at himself our greatest barriers to worshiping loving and living for God is that we fail to see God for who he is and to recognize our lostness we don't face the gravity of our sin or the reality of God's righteous judgment We don't face these because we don't behold him in the beauty of his holiness, in the majesty of his lordship. The recognition of our lostness is not the end of our story with God. It's the beginning. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this is touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. When Isaiah recognized his lostness, God initiated the steps to his forgiveness through the touch of a coal from the altar where sacrifices for sin was offered. That coal touched the very place, his lips, where... Isaiah had recognized his sinfulness. And they announced his sin was atoned for, paid in full. Isaiah understood that he was forgiven not based on anything he did, but based on that sacrifice that had been on that altar, a sacrifice that points to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for every one of us. Isaiah eventually understood this a little more clearly when he wrote about the suffering servant in his 53rd chapter. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. That brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed Isaiah was healed he was forgiven his sins atoned for he was set free from divine judgment free from remorse free from guilt he was ready to hear God's call whom shall I send Because Isaiah experienced the love and grace of God, he was willing to follow God no matter what it might cost him. Verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Isaiah was willing to put everything on the line. He responded to God's question without considering the price he'd have to pay and said, Send me. And God informed him that he would be sent to a people who would not listen and whose hearts would be hardened by the words he spoke. He would not be accepted. He would be rejected and despised. So hoping that that wouldn't happen for too long, he asked the Lord, how long God responded until their judgment is fully realized it's not what Isaiah wanted to hear but it didn't matter he was sold out to God for he had seen God's glory recognized his sinfulness and received God's forgiveness he was transformed in the heart ready to serve God when we receive God's love and grace, we will be ready to respond to God's call from the heart. The one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who loves much serves much. When we see God for who he is, ourselves, for who we are, and we grasp what Christ has done for us, we will be ready to follow him anywhere, respond to any call on our lives, we will be transformed. Worship is about treasuring God above all things. This happens when we behold God and we relive the gospel. This worship of the one who sits on the throne high and lifted up will lead us to enthrone him in our lives. If we go to Westgate's website, and look at our core commitments about we'll read this about worship treasuring Christ is ultimately about worship everyone worships something but God alone actually deserves our worship gathering for worship on Sundays is our regular reminder and recognition that God is at the center of the universe not us So we gather weekly as a family united by the gospel to make much of God through God-centered song, prayer, scripture, sermons, financial giving, and sacrament. There are a number of components in our worship service. The essence of it is reliving the gospel. Seeing God for who he is, recognizing his holiness and his worth. Sensing our lostness, feeling it, but then hearing the gospel. Gospel of God's grace where we find forgiveness. Then we are ready to listen to a sermon. (laughs) Then we are ready to follow God. This type of worship leads us to treasure Christ above all things and seats the Lord on the throne of our lives. Why are we here to worship God together to be transformed? Let's pray. Our Father, only your spirit can give us a true sense of who you are. Only your spirit convicts of sin, Mm -hmm. righteousness, and judgment. But we thank you, Lord, that the Spirit has worked in the lives of so many of us to see you, to see ourselves, and to see the cross, and to receive that. Oh, Lord, we thank you for what you've done and what you will do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.